There was another one on the Enneagram seminar coming up September 10th, but I left my notes, so I deleted the slide. I'll put it back up next week. <clears throat> so this summer, we are putting some texture around the ancient spiritual practices of listening. We've talked about the practice part just a bit so far. Thus far, we've primarily been thinking about the practices as encouraging one another to be faithful to the practice of meditation. Next week, we'll look a little bit about discerning, which is an iteration of the listening. And if you are not familiar with meditation, I would encourage you also to go to our website. Uh, if you maybe grew up in a Christian church that didn't think that, that meditation was part of the Christian tradition, or if you've never heard of Lectio Divina, or if you've not heard of Centering Prayer, if you will go to the website, if you go to Get Involved or Get Connected, what does it say? And uh, if you go underneath that to contemplative practice, there's a couple of YouTube videos. One of them's titled uh, Why We Meditate, and the other one is How We Meditate. It's very simple. Uh, it's me sitting in the sound booth uh, recording it and then just adding some PowerPoint slides to it. So, but it'll give you a basic orientation to uh, what and how and why we meditate. So that's what we've been doing regarding practices this summer as a summer of listening, is encouraging one another to take up and be faithful to the practice. As to what we've been listening for, again, as I mentioned in the announcements, it's really important for us as a community to integrate this uh, lesson. Uh, Raman titled it, I think, the, the Law of New Creations. I think I reframed it, the Laws, the laws of Creating uh, New Realities, or the Law of Three. Uh, and if you weren't uh, there that day, uh, I really do want us to catch up on that because I think going forward, it's going to have a lot to do with how we frame our life together. But a quick recap of that. You might recall I started this lesson many weeks ago with this premise. Whenever people set aside time for the spiritual practices of listening, whenever people set aside space for listening for the indwelling Spirit of God, among the other things, there is a recurring theme that listening people hear and that watchful people see and that attentive people attend. And it's this. When we're listening for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always about the work of repairing the world. You might recall the phrase, Tikkun Olam, restoring what is broken. When we listen for the voice of the interior, when we listen for the divine that is within, we find that the Spirit of God is always about the work of restoring what is broken and healing what is wounded, finding what is lost, and repairing what has been destroyed. On the news the other night, the anchorman made a passing statement. He said, uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks, so here's a bit of good news. And I was watching that and I chuckled and I thought... That statement, a rough couple of weeks, is a little bit like saying, I think the Pope might be a Catholic, because it has been really rough, and it's been a lot longer than a couple of weeks. This has not just been one thing that we have been dealing with as a society. We're dealing with seismic change that is going on in our world, in our society, in our nation. Now, I said that last week that this is actually a moment of opportunity because when we look back in a historical, from a historical perspective, we realize that the change that we now venerate, the change that we honor, was always, often if not always, preceded by 
a season of pain. Because pain brings about the kinds of changes that are necessary. And right now, we're in pain. Right now, there are social fractures in our nation that have been here for a long, long time. They're like the fractures that you can imagine in a high-pressure line. They're there, but they don't really show themselves until the line is locked down and put under pressure. In our society, that's kind of what has happened. We've been locked down, and the pressure is upon us. And so the fractures that were already there under pressure now are starting to show. We're starting to see what has been there for some time. So now we can all see the fracture between social traditionalists and the LGBT people who want full inclusion in society. Now we can all see the fracture between social policies that benefit the wealthy but are shrinking the middle class and expanding the poor. Now we can all see the fracture between those who feel included in American society and young immigrants who get radicalized because they don't feel included. We can all see the experience between being white and being black in our society. We can all see the gap, the fracture between those who can afford mental health care and those who are on the street struggling with mental health care. And this week of political conventions, everybody sees the fracture between those who are trying to conserve what needs to be conserved and those who are trying to change what needs to be changed. Nobody who's watching these days is missing what's going on. This is a fractured time. This is a changing time. This is a painful time. Hasn't always been this way, and it won't always be this way. But in seasons of transition, like we are going through as a culture and a society, these things that are right in front of us are the way that these big historical social changes unfold. And when you're living through a fractured time, when you're living through a changing time, people get afraid. And afraid people often feel attacked and attacked people often feel defensive. And so, people today are afraid, feeling attacked, and feeling defensive. And when we feel afraid, and when we feel attacked, and when we feel defensive, our brains do something. Our brains become ruthless editors. We edit out what we can't afford to think when we are feeling afraid and attacked. And defensive. We edit out the things that we allow ourselves to think and to hear and to see and to notice. So, that people are not seeing clearly these days, that people are not, who, that people are not listening well these days, it's kind of built into our brains as a survival strategy. Our brains will edit out all non-essential information when our brains feel under threat. It's what we do. We do that so that we can devote all system resources to fighting or flighting. We do that so we can defend the homeland. We do that so we can defend the position or the perspective or defend the story we tell ourselves about the enemy or about the other or about the other political party or the other race or the other gender or the other economic class or the way that our group sees the world. When we are in threat mode, we bring up the defense postures and our brains go into editing out all extraneous information mode. And again, it's to be understood because it's how our species survived. It's why you and I are able to sit here today. 
If our ancestors hadn't done this thought editing, they would have been noticing the pretty flowers and not giving enough attention to spiders and to snakes and to bears and to tigers, and they would have become dinner for some red tooth and claw, and they wouldn't have had babies. But they did have babies, which means that they passed those threat-editing genes along to those babies who then passed them along to theirs and to us. And so now we sit here sitting on a reservoir of thought-editing instinct so that we can reserve resources for fighting and flighting. It's what we do. And so, as a consequence, all the non-listening that is going on today and the non-seeing and the non-understanding, and the defense posturing, all that's going on around us in our fractured, frightened, reactionary times, it's to be understood. We can really understand why it's going on. But just because we can understand why it's going on doesn't mean that it's good. Just because we can understand why our brains do the things that they do doesn't mean that it's helping Just because it's instinctive and understandable doesn't mean that it is helping us move forward as a culture into the new reality that waits us on the other side of these fractured divides. So imagine for a moment, just just imagine with me, that all angry Republicans or all angry Democrats are not, just imagine that they are not Satan incarnate. (laughs) Just imagine that Angry Black Lives Matter protesters have some really good reasons to be so angry. Just imagine that the defenders of the police are defending a really important truth. Just imagine that transgender people aren't trying to corrupt our society, but they're having the same kind of reaction that we might have if we had been so hurt or so humiliated or so shamed. If that was so that the people on the other side of the fracture were actually seeing something that we need to see. If that was so, how in the world would we know that? When all of our listening faculties and all of our seeing faculties and all of our attending faculties get shut down when we feel threatened, how would we know what's going on on the other side that would be important to know if we've shut down because our brains do what our brains do. And that's what our brains do under pressure. They shut down the listening. They shut down the looking. They shut down the reflective discerning. They get rid of all the extraneous information. Our brains tend to circle the wagons. We tend during times of threat to gather with people who are like-minded because they're going to help us strengthen the resolve that we are going to need They're going to help us strengthen the commitment that we're going to need to ready ourselves for the fight that's coming, for the flight that might be coming. And so it's what we do, it's instinctive. So when we do the instinctive thing, how would we ever know that the other can instruct us? How would we ever know that the other could awaken us? How would we ever know that the other could inform us or broaden us? How would we ever know that the other is an essential component for the new reality that is going to emerge on the other side of the fracture? How would we ever know that? 
Now, I imagined as I was writing today's lesson what people might be thinking, and I imagined some people thinking to themselves, that, Doug, that is so true. Those people on the other side of the fracture, <laughs> they really need to hear what you're saying because they really need to be listening. <laughs> But as soon as we catch ourselves thinking that, of course we know how silly he is because that's exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking that we over here on this side of the fracture should be listening to what this is. So that's our dilemma. And it's to this brain-induced threat response dilemma that the spiritual tradition speaks. The spiritual tradition invites us to the term having eyes to see and ears to hear. In other words, the spiritual tradition invites us to see something bigger than the threat response kind of wagon circling thoughts that we tend to think when we feel frightened or when we feel attacked, when we feel that the ground underneath us is shifting. The spiritual tradition invites us to have eyes that see and ears that hear something bigger and something truer than the limited thoughts that our instinctive brains will allow us to think. The spiritual tradition invites us to these listening practices, to meditation and to examine of consciousness and to the discernment as a way of seeing beyond the brain-imposed limits that we live with. So Robin's lesson a few weeks ago framed this historical moment for us and highlighted the importance of this law of creating new reality, this law of three she taught us. And the law says this, the reason that our social fractures are so tenacious is that we tend to see the world in twos. We tend to see only two forces in play in the world around us, not three. We limit our vision to seeing one force that is affirming. And we limit our vision to seeing another force that is denying. And that tends to be where we stop. We see one force affirming, we see one force denying. And consequently, one force is pushing for something and another force is pushing against something. And when that happens, the impasse rarely gets broken because it won't get broken until one of those forces is vanquished and hardly ever does it happen that one force will actually be vanquished. It might go underground for a while. We saw that last week when we looked at uh, Germany after World War I. They were vanquished, but the, their force didn't go away. It just went underground for a while. So rarely does it happen that the affirming force is vanquished, and rarely does it happen that the denying force is vanquished. Consequently, our fractures remain tenacious. And they keep going on year after year, sometimes generation after generation. And, she taught us, the force that is pushing for the thing is not bad, it just is. And the force, force pushing against the thing is not bad, it just is. Pushing for is reality the way that the sun shining is reality. Pushing against is reality the way that the wind blowing is just reality. But rarely do we frame it that way in our minds. If we are on the pushing for side, we assume that the pushing against side is bad. If we're on the pushing against side, we assume that the pushing for side is bad. But neither is bad, they just are. They are laws 
the way that gravity is a law. They are laws because they define the way things are. It just says, this is what is. What is, is a force pushing for, and what is, is a force, force pushing against. But when that's all we see, the two forces, which we usually do, all we see is the affirming force affirming away. And all we see is the denying force denying away. And, I said last week, that's what we see when we look around in our society today. We see affirming forces out there affirming, and we see denying forces out there denying. But the third force, the one that is so essential for us to see a new reality emerge, the third force, the reconciling force, that remains hidden unless we listen, unless we watch, unless we pay attention. Now, even if we do, there's no guarantee that if we take up the listening practices that we're always going to discern the third force that is necessary to reconcile the, the opposing forces and bring about a new reality. There's no guarantee that we will, but there is a guarantee that if we don't take up the practices of discerning and if we don't listen and if we don't quiet ourselves and if we don't pay attention, if we don't pray for eyes that see and ears that hear, then we can be guaranteed that we're not going to discern the third force and that the two forces will not be reconciled, and that our fractures will remain fractured. So after Robin's lesson, I asked her for a few stories to help illustrate this dynamic so that we could integrate it, and she pointed me to a book, and she pointed me to a story about how this works in our own personal lives. The law applies to fractured social divides, but it, since it's a law, like the law of gravity, it also applies in all kinds of settings. And in the book that she pointed me to, the author uh, has a working group and was thinking about this, and one of the members of the group was thinking about her long-term struggle with rich, fatty foods. And she began to wonder how affirming and denying and reconciling would work with that struggle and how it applied in that context. So she tried to begin to frame the power elements, the force elements, in her thinking around food. What are the three forces? And so she thought to herself, okay, I have a strong desire for these foods. <laughs> you might share that desire. That must be the affirming force. And I also desire to maintain a healthy diet and be fit and be trim. That must be the denying force because I work so hard to deny myself all of these foods. So the third force, the reconciling force, she reasoned, must be my willpower, my ability to exercise self-control. So there it is, affirming force, a denying force, and a reconciling force. Except that... It didn't take much reflection for her to realize that if these three forces do create new realities, no new reality had emerged. <laughs> so either the law of three isn't a thing, or perhaps she thought, I've got the forces wrong. I've had this affirming desire for food, for these kinds of foods for a long time. And I've been trying to deny these kinds of foods for a really long time. And I've been exercising my willpower for a really long time. So if those three forces were going to bring about a new reality, they would have done it a long time ago, and they haven't. So maybe I've got this thing wrong. When it occurred to her that she might not have figured out the reconciling force, she began to be quiet. She tried to put her thought habits into neutral. And she tried to put her emotion response habits into neutral. 
She tried to put her assumptions and her instincts and the stories that she tells herself into neutral. And she waited. And she listened. And she watched. And she paid attention. The story in the book did not say that she meditated, but I know about this group, and meditation is central to their practice. And in this season of quieting and listening and discerning, which is what we must do to discern the third force, before long, an instinct began to bubble up inside of her. Willpower is not a reconciling force. Willpower is a dominating force. Willpower is really just an iteration of the denying force. It's how I work hard to deny myself my desire for these foods. And so she realized that she'd been working with the mistaken idea, the mistake that we all make, that one force is good and one force is bad. Now remember what Robin taught us. It's just not that way. They are. They just exist. She realized that she'd been working with the idea that her desire for these rich, fatty foods was a bad force and that denying herself these rich, fatty foods was a good force. And she was using willpower in order to overcome the bad force and bring about the victory, the vanquishing, by the good force. So really she was working with no third force at all. She'd been working in a binary reality. There is good and there is bad, there is affirming, there is denying, but there is no reconciling force at play in this dynamic at all. We do that. Republicans are bad. Democrats, Democrats are bad. We just need to resist them. We need to overcome them. We need to vanquish them. Black Lives Matter people, or police people, or Muslim people, or poor people, or rich people, they're just on the wrong side. And we need to resist them until our idea, our force, wins the day. And when that happens, then it will be good. That's what happens when you live in and work in a binary reality. It's an unarticulated assumption. Who or whatever is on the other side of our fractured divisions is the bad one. And we're locked in battle until one of us wins. What liberals don't see about conservatives is that conservatives are an essential element in the new reality that is going to emerge on the other side of this fracture. What conservatives don't see about liberals is that they are not bad. They are an essential element and have an essential part of the truth that is going to be the reconciled reality on the other side of the fracture. But instead of seeing the essential nature of the other, we are locked in battle until one side wins. That's what happens when you've got a binary reality. Americans don't see that Muslim anger is necessary for this new reality to emerge because we can't imagine what that new reality might be. So instead of that, we're locked in a binary battle between uh, us and jihadist rage. Then, when we finally win and good defeats the evil, then the battle will be over. Again, that's what happens in a binary reality. There's a documentary out there right now called CSI in the Crosshairs or something like that, in which they 
uh, interview the last 10 directors of the CIA. Every one of them has a single statement. We cannot kill our way out of this problem. We can't stay in this binary solution and think that we're going to win. We need a third force. We need a reality bigger than the reality we've got. A binary view doesn't recognize that both sides must be honored in the reconciliation process for a new reality to emerge. It won't work for one side to be controlled. You can't control the sun shining. It won't work for one side to be controlled or vanquished because you can't control the wind blowing. But that's what we do. And when we do, the new reality doesn't emerge. We stay locked in place. The rich don't see that the perspective held by the poor is an essential part of the new reality. The poor don't see that the rich hold an essential part of the solution that's going to be on the other side. In a binary system, it's a zero-sum game. If the rich win, the poor are going to lose. The poor win, the rich are going to lose. Husbands and wives are locked in battle over how we ought to raise the kids, and they don't see that the other's perspective is necessary for the good and well-being of the child. Really, we just see that the other has the wrong-headed perspective. And so, the other is the rich fatty foods in this situation and must be overcome and resisted and vanquished. And yeah, that doesn't go well. In the end, the lady who was trying to frame her food struggles in this law of three language began to think this. I think my desire for rich fatty foods is the affirming force. And I think my desire to be thin and fit and trim and healthy, that is my denying force. And both are essential for the new reality to emerge. But what I really don't have is I don't have a reconciling force. In the end, she determined to develop a relationship with the enemy. She determined to develop a relationship with rich foods. And she determined to give her enemy a place and she invited her enemy to belong. She invited rich, fatty foods to have a place at her table. Really what she determined was that she was going to love her enemy. It's not unlike what we saw happen in the third force example that we gave last week in the rebuilding of Japan after World War II. When she did, when she made a place at the table for her enemy, her enemy stopped being her enemy. When she stumbled upon the reconciling force of love or accepting or inviting to belong, she began to develop a healthy relationship with both desires, both her desire for rich foods, both a desire for the fats that are essential to our body's well-being, and her desire for a healthy, fit body. Listen to what she wrote. I decided to enter into a conscious relationship with rich foods. I decided not to treat them as the enemy, but to honor and satisfy my body's desire for them, but to do it consciously with awareness. And it changed my whole way of thinking about food, but it also changed my way of thinking about the affirming and resisting forces. This thing, this law of three, this thing, this quest for the reconciling force, this thing, this transcending of the binary attacks, fractures, and divisions that we live in, this thing, it's a thing. 
But it's a thing for those who have eyes that see. It's a thing for those who have ears that hear. Because the new reality, the new created order is going to be on the other side. By definition, none of us can see it yet. We don't see what the new reality is. Because we haven't seen it, the, what the reconciling does yet. So consequently, we can't sit here and say, we're going for this, here we go, here's the steps to get there. What we can do is we can take our assumptions and put them into neutral. What we can do is take our thought habits and put them into neutral. What we can do is take our emotional reaction, emotional response habits and put them into neutral. What we can do is take the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that our group tells ourselves about the other group and we can put them in neutral. And we begin to say, let me take up this listening posture. And in particularly, let me listen about the story that the other brings. Let me listen to what is behind the rhetoric that the other side stands for. Let me find out what's going on over there so that I might be able to discern this third force. And that is why we're spending this summer listening. That is why we encourage one another to the practice of meditation. That is why we encourage one another to those practices that will give us eyes that see because we need to see. That's why we encourage the practice that will give us ears to hear because we need to hear. And so, Holy Spirit, may it be so that we become a people, practice in the art of discernment. May it be so that we become people, that our nation becomes a nation, that our world becomes a world of people where there's enough around that we discern and we listen for this reality that will reconcile. Be that so in our hearts and in our lives. Be that so in our homes with the people with whom we live. Be that so on our jobs and be that so when we talk to one another in these social contexts. When we speak across these fractured divides, may we be the listening, the discerning people. In Jesus' name, amen.